Well, it's good to see you here this morning. I want to continue our series through the gospel according to John. We'll be in chapter 14 again as we steadily make our way through the gospel according to John. Go with me to chapter 14. Let's read verses 12 through 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to, unto my Father. And, whithersoever ye sh- and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. As a reminder, we are still in what many call the upper room discourse where Jesus is preparing the remaining 11 disciples for what is about to befall them as Jesus will be betrayed this night. He will be crucified and His followers will be in in a state of disarray for a bit. As we go through chapters 13 through 17, we have to always keep in mind that we are looking at the night when Christ will be betrayed, and we have to do so so that we can better understand the weight of the words that Jesus is using here before His departure. There's many lessons Jesus is teaching to His disciples in these chapters, but this one begins with verily, verily, which is a form of verity, which means truth. So Jesus begins this saying, this lesson by saying, truly, truly, if you will. He's saying, what I'm about to tell you is a trustworthy statement. Jesus speaks truth because He is truth. He is the truth of God's Word. In fact, He was the Word of God made flesh. Everything Jesus spoke was truth, but many times throughout the Gospel accounts, we come across the phrase, verily, Verily. And so apparently there were times when Jesus really wanted their attention. Right? I always, uh, when I really want my kids' attention, right here. I want their eyeballs. You with me? And so Jesus here is, is really wanting them to focus. And I'm not suggesting that when Jesus didn't say verily, verily, that it wasn't important. But I think we can all understand there are certain lessons in life where we really need to focus. Right? There's certain things that we really want people to get. We really want them to comprehend. And I, I like, I like in verily, verily to when Jesus would say, He that hath ears, let him hear. And He just wants them to pay attention, to perk up. And so I'm just highlighting this to say, this lesson that Jesus is about to give is a lesson that He really wants all of us to get. And so I want you to really focus. But what makes it so important for these disciples to hear this? Well, let's remember the context here of this conversation. Jesus had just told them prior to this that He's going away, and where He was going, they can't come. The disciples are going to watch as their earthly leader willingly gives Himself to be crucified. And for three days, they're going to be as sheep without a shepherd. These men, they're going to be in mourning. They're going to be confused. They're going to be left in fear, wondering if they're next to be hanging on a cross. And they're going to be left doubting that what they were a part of over the last three and a half years, was it worth it or not? Was this legit? Was this man that we were following, was he really the Messiah? 
Did they, make, did they make the right decision when they left everything to follow Christ? Jesus is trying to encourage them, stay faithful. Stay with it. Don't give up. And He begins with verily, verily. And He follows that up with, He that believeth on Me. We've seen in this discourse already, Jesus is continuously reinforcing that thought. He wants them to really understand this uh, after His physical presence on earth is over. In chapter 13, verse 7, Jesus said, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. In verse 13 of chapter 13, Jesus said, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. In verse 19 of chapter 13, Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am He. And so far in chapter 14, and in verse 1, ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In verse 10, Jesus asks the question, Believest thou that I am in the Father, and the Father in Me? In verse 11, Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in Me. And at the end of verse 11, Jesus said, Or else believe me for the very work's sake. And now in verse 12, He says, He that believeth on Me. Do you get the impression Jesus wants them to know you need to believe on Me? Because this is going to be such a big event that's going to take place, it's going to be confusing. And He wants them to understand that you need to have your faith and your trust put in Me. Trust the plan of God. Understand what's about to take place. And you'll better get through the next few days. And so He gives them the constant reminder to believe. And He has to do this because He's about to be in the grave. That's going to be confusing, isn't it? Here's a man that they thought was going to restore the kingdom uh, to Israel at that time. And, and, and yet, here we see that he's going to be in the grave and he wants them to know, you've got to trust. You've got to believe. All kind of doubts would begin to circulate in their minds. But notice what Jesus says. He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Remember, Jesus had just said previously, believe me for the very work's sake. He's reminding them of the works which have been accomplished. It's as if Jesus is saying, keep your faith in me because if you will keep believing in me, then the works that I do, you're going to do. And in fact, you're going to do greater works than I have done. This is such an amazing statement. Isn't it to think that Jesus would say to His followers, you're going to do greater works than I did. What? It's just an amazing statement, but I've got to clarify something going forward here. The works that are mentioned here are not miracles, as some people make it to say. There are actually two different Greek words for the word work and the word miracle um, that we translate as such, but many will teach that it's referring to miracles. And it is true that the miracles which Jesus performed, the disciples, or I should say the apostles, also performed. We call these miracles sign gifts. They were used in that first generation church to transition out from under the old covenant and into the new. But I don't think we can say, it depends on your perspective, but I don't think we could say that the miracles which the apostles performed were greater miracles than Jesus performed. 
I don't think that they were greater. They were, in many cases, the same. Uh, But he does say, The works I do shall ye do also, and you shall do greater works than these. The reason I feel led to, to give you that distinction between works and miracles is because of the hucksters today on television. Amen. I do not possess the ability to throw my coat at you and you magically fall over healed. And I've yet to understand the idea of falling over healed. I thought you just healed me and now I'm falling over. Has anybody else got a problem with that? It just doesn't make sense to me in my mind. Congratulations, you're healed. Oh, sweet. Now I've got a concussion because I just hit my head on the floor. We're getting off track already. Um, and, And so anyway... Uh, it's important to understand that because there's people out there who are trying to take advantage of folks. And um, anyway, they, they claim they have these apostolic-like gifts that they can use and, and people who are in desperate situations sometimes get taken advantage of as a result of that. And they'll, they'll send in their seed money in hopes that uh, something great will happen. Uh, and they do all of this in the name of Christ, which is a shame. But they'll take verses like this out of context to try and justify that they've been blessed to do greater miracles than Christ did. If we don't force this to mean miracles, then we have no inconsistencies here. But still, as I was saying earlier, this is such an amazing statement that Jesus would say, the works that I do, you're going to do greater works. That's amazing. And I've got to be real careful how I present this because someone may in their mind think, well, are you suggesting that Christ was a failure in these areas? No. Jesus came to fulfill exactly what the Father had for Him to do. Amen. He was not a failure in areas. That's absolutely untrue. Christ did the will of the Father. Christ came to do what we could not do. Hallelujah. We could not live a sinless life. And as a result, we could not save ourselves. And Christ paid the debt He did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. But we needed someone to wash our sins away. Hallelujah. There's no greater work, there's no greater miracle than Christ making a way for sinners to be reconciled to God. So what does it mean when Jesus says, you're going to do greater works than I did? The word work here means toil. It's our effort, our occupation. It's our labors. The word greater means larger with the idea of wider in scope and more of it. There's many ways to apply this this morning, and this first one's just kind of a a piddly thing. But for starters, Jesus' public ministry was only three and a half years. But the man who penned this gospel account, according to secular history, would have lived to around 100 AD. And his ministry would have lasted some 60 years or more. And so in that respect, we see that. Most of us in here have been afforded more time to labor for God than Christ was given. I remember when I surpassed 33 and a half years and it hit me that I have now been walking this earth longer than our Lord did. He has given us more time to labor than He gave. He's given us greater time to do these works. Pastor Williams preached for over 60 years. 60 years of preaching. It's hard for me to believe, but next month I will have been your pastor for four years. 
Where did time go? And some of you are like, well, it feels like four years. I, I know. <laughs> Hang in there. It's going to get worse, okay? I've been blessed to preach now for almost 21 years. And it's hard to believe that God would give us greater time than he gave the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's obviously far more than that simple application here. Here we find Christ on the night of his betrayal, and there's only 11 men with him. After his resurrection, we read in 1 Corinthians 15.5 that he was seen above 500 brethren at once. And after Christ ascended, there was only 120 gathered. But in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, there would be some 3,000 souls saved, baptized, and added to the church. And the Bible says the Lord was saving souls daily. Then in Acts chapter 4, there was another 5,000 added. Sadly, today in Rapid City, we're seeing nothing compared to what the early church saw. But still, Jesus said, you'll do greater works than I did. We have more than 11 faithful followers of Christ this morning. We are seen by well over 500 through the press ministry and other ministries. We see more than 120 gathered together every week. And in that sense, we're doing a greater work than Christ did. Isn't that amazing to think about? Jesus only preached in Galilee and in Judea. He never reached beyond that. And in the, the eyes of the world, they would look at that and consider Him a failure. Of course, we know He was very successful. But in that first century, the gospel went much farther in scope than it did when Jesus was here. It started in Jerusalem where in Acts chapter 5 we see that the apostles had filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. And when it, it, after that it went from Jerusalem into all of Judea, into Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the world. And rightly does the Bible say that those men turned the world upside down. They were doing greater works. When the Apostle Paul showed up on the scene... And he began to plant churches westward throughout the Roman Empire. Greater works were being accomplished. Only the Lord knows how many souls have been reached from this church. People who have lived here, people who have been stationed here, and people reached through the printed Word. Six million copies of John and Romans sent around the world. In addition, we currently have commissioned out of our church the Bayer family to Australia, the Muldoons to Papua New Guinea, and shortly, Brother Petraco will be heading to the Philippines on that John and Romans project to preach for a bit. Jesus said, Greater works than these shall ye do. What do you believe the Lord wants to do through our church? Do you even think about these things? I sure do. I live with the knowledge that I will give an account to God one day. What does God want to do through this church? You might think, well, of course you think about it. You're the pastor. All right, I'll give you that one. But are you thinking about it? Can you see greater works coming to pass? Coming to pass. I, I mentioned last Sunday night as I just introduced our theme for this year on the back wall. Do you believe to see? We have to believe it 
before we'll see it. And Jesus said, you, you will be able to do even greater works than I do. But do we believe it? Do we believe it? Jesus said at the end of verse 12, the reason we can do greater works is because He was going back to the Father. We'll see this as we progress through this chapter, probably next week, Lord willing, that as a result of Him going to the Father, He would in turn send us the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who empowers us. Amen. It is the Spirit that we must walk in. It is the Spirit that we must trust to have our power through. It is the Spirit of God that we need. Before Jesus ascended, He told His disciples, Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And in Acts 1.8, He said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto Me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What we do the ministries we do, the works we do, the things we accomplish, the greater works still left to be accomplished are only through the power of the Spirit. The Bible says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so even though they're greater works, it's not apart from the power of God. Look at verses 13 and 14. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And this is the key. We have to operate in the name of Christ with the intent that the Father will be glorified in the Son. And so, what we do cannot be about us. That's going to be very important as we go forward this year. We'll see this kind of language three more times in this gospel account before it's over. But there's power in the name of Christ. In Acts chapter 3, verses 6-8, through eight, then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up, stood and walked, and entered with them into the temple. Walking and leaping and praising God. Amen. Be back Sunday night. We'll sing that. Is that good, Eric? All right. Amen. Ken's not here, so I don't know. Anyway, it's the name of Christ that we must call unto. People were healed by the power of the name of Christ. Demons were cast out by the name of Jesus Christ. We pray in the power and the authority of the name of Christ. We give thanks in the name of Christ. We are justified in the name of Christ. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Even in the first century, it was the name of Christ the rulers wanted to silence. When the council arrested disciples, they charged them, don't speak in the name of Christ. Don't teach in the name of Christ. Stephen was stoned to death for preaching Christ. The apostle Paul, they wanted him dead for preaching Christ. And today, in uh, 2020 now, it's the name of Christ that the world wants to silence. Government institutions have charged clergy 
and chaplains, don't you pray in public in the name of Christ. Is everybody with me this morning? Don't you pray in the name of Christ. Why is that? Because Satan knows where our power lies. There's none other name given, given among men whereby we must be saved. Don't you pray in Christ's name because I don't want a lost person to hear that name. That's where our power is. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Satan knows there's no other name by which we must be saved. He knows that Christ's name brings glory to God. And he knows whatsoever we ask in the name of Christ or the glory of the, of the Father, Christ will do it. That's what he says here. Do you believe that? Let me get personal with you. And get back to the question I asked earlier. What do you believe the Lord wants to do through this church? Now, preacher, I'm happy just showing up Sunday mornings. I don't even care about Sunday school. It's not important enough for me to make the effort to be there. I don't really care about Sunday nights, and, and I'm definitely not going to be there for prayer service. Well, then you probably don't care a whole lot about what God wants to do through this church. Amen. Is it okay if I preach? What do you believe the Lord wants to do? Or how about this? What are you asking the Lord to do? Are you praying about two services? Are you? I mentioned it Sunday night. I've been mentioning it now for about a year. We have a lot sick and out, but even, even still we're pretty full this morning. We've got a decision to make. We've got a decision to make on whether to pull the trigger on that. Jesus said, if you'll believe in me, you'll do greater works than I did. And whatever you ask in the name of Christ, I'll do it for the glory of the Father. Are you praying about it? Oh, it's so heavy on my heart. Are you praying about wisdom? What is it God wants to do through our church? Are we just going to be content to say us four and no more? Have you noticed the shorter sermons on Sunday morning? I've been trying to prepare myself for that day. Some of you are thinking, well, whether we go to two services or not, keep preaching shorter sermons. Amen. <laughs> I have tried to lead us to see that God wants to do much here through us. I don't understand why God orchestrated it that way, but that's how He's done it. He's put His treasure in earthen vessels that we might pour it out to other people. What can God do through us? We've already seen what God can do in reaching the uttermost through this little church in the center of the nation. How can a church so small out here in South Dakota reach so many souls in the uttermost? Well, because Jesus said you'll do greater works than these. But I've been trying to get us focused on Rapid City. What are we doing in our Jerusalem? Now, I don't know how you feel about it this morning, but I really believe God can still bring revival in 2020. I believe God can still turn Rapid City upside down. And I believe God is on the move here. And I believe this because there's nothing special about this person up here. 
There's nothing in any of us that God says, that's it. But He's looking for a surrendered heart. A broken and a contrite heart. One that He can say, now that's the people I can work with. I don't need your pride. And I don't need you figuring it all out. I just need you to trust me. In spite of us, God is bringing people in. And I believe this is happening because we have been lifting up the name of Christ and, and that glorifies the Father. I've not shied away from the fact that I don't know what I'm doing up here. Amen. Amen. Uh, Pastor Williams is not here so I can talk about him. When I took over, I went to Pastor Williams. I said, Pastor Williams, what do I do when somebody comes through on deputation? You'll figure it out. I ain't never pastored before. Pastor Williams, what do I do when, when uh, you know, X, Y, or Z? You'll figure it out. I have no clue what I'm doing. Everybody understand that? All that God is doing here is simply because He's gracious. And because the people are willing to get out of God's way and say, God, whatever you want to do, you do it. Amen. And I don't know what God wants to do here, but I know He wants to do more. And I know this, that He says, you'll do greater works than I did. Thank God for that. In one sense, I don't want to learn it. I don't want to try to understand it all because in, in one sense, I don't want to have the answer so that I can never lean unto my own understanding, but that I can acknowledge Him in all my ways and He shall direct my paths. I don't want to get to where I think I've got it all figured out. Now what are we going to do with the blessings of God? We have to seek God's face for the best way ahead. We have to keep going forward in the name of Christ. You say, well, does that mean two services? I think so. Brother Abel, I'm glad you're here in uniform, brother. He might have to leave early because he's got to be at work at one or something like that. And uh, yet he's here trusting I'm going to be done in time. God bless you, brother. Uh, that's faith right there. But I look at that and I think, well, it'd be a benefit for servicemen who are shift workers. Amen. Reach more souls. It's all about souls. We have to keep going forward. I say we need to ask God and we need to ask big. Somebody said you don't see big things because you don't ask big things. And my God's not dead. My God is still able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. But we must ask with the right motive, which is for the glory of God. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Our motive has to be right. I honestly feel all that can hinder the work of God here is when we get our eyes off of Christ. And we start to believe that somehow we've engineered His blessings through our own power. If we get off track, we have to get our eyes back on Christ. We have to seek His will. We must live our lives so in tune with God that we will naturally ask what is according to His will because we are walking in the Spirit. 1 John 3.22 says, and whatsoever, ye at, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments 
and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And that's the challenge I wanted to leave you with. Do God's commandments this morning. Do that which is pleasing in His sight, and there's no telling what God can do. That's what He says in His Word. If you'll keep my commandments and you'll do what's pleasing in my sight, you ask it, you'll receive it. I believe there are greater works still yet to be seen here in Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. But we have to go forward in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father. Do you believe God is able this morning? Will you believe in 2020 to see the goodness of the Lord? Let's believe to see. Let's pray.